Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Welcome this morning to Journey Church. Thank you for uh, choosing to be here this morning. Uh, my batteries were dead on my, uh, on my microphone. I have never seen a person change batteries as quickly as Stephen just did. So, Stephen, you are my hero as always for many reasons, more than just one reason. So today... We are in our final three messages where we're going to be talking about the, the end game series. We are in the final three parables that Jesus is going to give in Matthew chapter 25. Just a quick reminder before we get into that time that uh, we have this new Revelation Bible study that is happening on Sunday afternoons from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to continue, uh, if the end times events are interesting to you and you want to continue on in that study, you can join us or you can stream that live online, and it's available on our YouTube channel uh, a few days later after we have done that Bible study. And then finally, as Chris mentioned earlier, we are doing a, a youth or a children's ministry remodel. It's going to be the area that is in the blue is going to be remodeled primarily for the children's area. And if you would like to give to that, please do. You know, uh, I was just thinking uh, as Chris was giving that announcement about raising funds for that, and I was thinking that um, if and it sounds like this new stimulus package is going to be passed and checks are going to be coming out. If people just tithed on the stimulus money that you got, we would pay for that in no problem at all. So just tithe on that amount that is coming in. Uh, so anyway, that's just, hey, that's a thought uh, for you. All right, let's get into end game. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. We are going to pick it up in verse 1 today. Last time, or in this series, we have looked at two primary parts of what Jesus' teaching is in Matthew 24 regarding the end times events. In Matthew 24, Jesus gives a series of prophetic statements. The prophetic statements were not, um, these are not analogies. These are literal things Jesus is saying will happen at the end times events. You're going to have things like deception. Deception will be on the rise. People will be deceived from following God's truth to following what is false and what is a lie. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be nations, that is ethnic groups, rising against ethnic groups. The original Greek word is ethnos, so that will be on the rise. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. The Gospel of Luke adds in there, there will be pestilences, meaning diseases. Um, there will be persecution that will arise ag against the Christian community. Uh, my wife and I and uh, my son and daughter-in-law, we watched on Friday night, Voice of the Martyrs. They had a live stream event that was about a three-hour live stream event with stories about persecutions that are happening, imprisonments that are happening around the world. We are not facing those here yet, but those could easily come down the road uh, eventually. But we are listening to the persecution stories that were happening, and those are definitely on the rise. Jesus says there's going to be betrayal. 
People will betray one another, turning each other in. There will be a hatred of Christians. Specifically, it's targeted at Christians. Uh, Christians will be hated for the name of the Lord, and there will also be a lawlessness that will multiply because the love of many people will grow cold. The gospel will be preached to all the earth, and then it is the final three and a half years called the Great Tribulation that is launched by what is called the Abomination of Desolation. It's an abominable event committed uh, abominable event committed by a person that comes into Israel specifically into Jerusalem because Jerusalem not necessarily Israel but Jerusalem is considered occupied territory the rest of the Middle Eastern world considers the Jewish people as foreign invaders and foreign occupiers of the city of Jerusalem that's where those events will culminate it is what is called in the Bible, Jacob's trouble. And then you will see the son of man coming on the clouds. The trumpet will be blown and he will gather his chosen from the four winds of the, uh, from one end of heaven to the other. Now the word heaven just means literally the sky. As far as you can look to the sky one way or the other, that's the distance that God is going to be gathering his people. And so that is what is going to happen. That's the prophetic events. That really led to a question that I had, and I believe you probably had as well. And the question is this, well, what should we be doing then in light of the, uh, light of anti the anticipation of the Lord's coming? What should we be doing? How should we be living? How should we be getting ourselves ready? That is what Jesus then launched into a series of parables. And all of the parables were the explanations that Jesus had to us of how we should get ourselves ready. Jesus has given several parables already. The first one that he gave us was a parable that said to be discerning. The word discerning just means to be understanding. It's to be recognizing. Jesus gave this analogy of a fig tree. It's a fig tree. In the wintertime, there are no leaves on it, but in the spring, you start to see a bud and you start to see a leaf pop out. In the same way, Jesus said, watch for the signs. Watch for the things that I just told you about. When you see these signs, you know that it's spring. You know, Jesus said, that I'm right at the door. Then he gave the parable of Noah. In the time of Noah, he talked about being alert. Just like in the days of Noah, there will be wickedness that will rise on the earth. In Genesis, uh, it says of the days of Noah that all of the hearts of people were wicked continually. Their thoughts were on what is wicked continually. The world was far from God at the time of Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah knew the day that the flood was going to happen. In fact, God had warned Noah multiple times of when the day would be. So Noah knew, Noah proclaimed, but no one understood because no one cared, no one listened, and they were swept away in the flood. They were not prepared at the things that were coming. God gave them a countdown, but they weren't willing to listen to the countdown. I was reading a story this past week, and it was a story uh, of all things. It was about an eagle, uh, and it was, it was not a fictional story. It was just a, a, a nonfiction story about eagles, and it was something really interesting that I learned about eagles. You probably already knew this, but, the, but an eagle's eye, and maybe you've never heard these statistics, but an eagle's eye has eight times the visual cells per cubic centimeter, or, uh, cubic centimeter than does the human eye. 
What that means is that an eagle can be flying 600 feet above the earth and spot something the size of a dime in six inches of grass. An eagle can be, can be miles away, up to five miles away, and see a three-inch fish jump in a stream of water. In the same manner, we have some visual insights into the things that are going to be happening, and we have to be in tune with and prepared to see what nobody else is seeing, to see what the rest of the world is not seeing, to be visually in tune with the fact that the Son of Man is coming in an hour that we do not expect and we do not anticipate. We have to be alert. Third parable that Jesus gave was the parable talking about being faithful. It talked about a wise and a faithful servant. And the meaning behind that parable for us today was to get saved, to get busy, and to get growing. And that's really what it's all about. Get saved, make sure you are saved, make sure you're in a right status, a right relationship with God. Get busy sharing the word of God with other people, discipling other people, and get growing in your faith. Do not just sit there and not know what the word of God says, but pour your life into it so that you can know what God's word has to say. This new uh, endeavor, this new uh, thing that we invested in right now, ministries, it's a wonderful way to learn the word of God by getting on that, that site and looking at all of the teachings and all of the videos and all of the studies, and you can grow in God's word. I'm putting out three times a week a video working through and walking through books of the Bible. You can learn God's word. There's opportunities. There are many other teachers that their messages are on YouTube that you can watch and learn and grow in God's word. But the best thing you could do is just pick it up and start reading it for yourself and know what God's word has to say. So Jesus told us to be discerning be alert, be faithful. Finally, today, he is going to tell us to then also be ready. We need to be ready. Let's look at what God's word has to say. We're going to pick it up in Matthew 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 here for our study this morning. Here's the next parable. Then Jesus said these words, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil in them. But the wise ones took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was taking a long time, they all got drowsy and started falling asleep. But in the middle of the night, there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. Now the foolish ones said to the wise, give, give us some of your oil, since our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going off to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Now later, the other virgins came saying, sir, sir, open up for us. But he replied, amen, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, Jesus says, and concludes with this thought, stay alert, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I pray that I would communicate this rightly. 
I pray, Father, that it would not be my words, but your words through me. Lord, we have worshiped you with lifting our voices to you. Now help us to worship you through our minds and through our ears by listening to your word. Speak to us what we need to hear today. For those that need encouragement today, I pray that you would give them encouragement. For those who need confrontation and conviction today, I pray, Father, that you would confront and convict. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be continually ready for something that you have warned, that you will come again, that you will collect your bride, and you will take us to the wedding banquet and then it will be too late. So help us, Lord, to make sure that our hearts are ready for you. Be with us now as we teach your word and as we open and look and wrestle with your word. We thank you for what you're gonna do here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Jesus is giving another analogy. And the analogy that Jesus is giving is, is something that he has already given before. This idea of having a need for the readiness of all things is what Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable. Now, Jesus is giving a parable, again, uh, that he has given several times, in fact, in the teachings that he has done from Matthew 20 all the way through Matthew 25, he uses this wedding analogy over and over again. He is once again using it, and it's just important to remember and understand what a wedding event was like in those days. It's very different from a wedding event in our day. In our day today, perhaps you meet somebody, perhaps you move in with somebody, perhaps you start planning a wedding years down the road. I don't know how long it would take. You plan a lavish ceremony, a big party, and then you're married. Well, that's not how it worked in that day. In fact, in that day, there were three stages of what a wedding event would be. First, there was the stage of engagement, then there was the stage of betrothal, and then there was finally the stage of the physical wedding feast itself. So you had the engagement, the betrothal, in the wedding feast. Now, the engagement that I've talked to you about before was the picture of a bride price that was being negotiated. A guy would see a girl, he would want to get married to this girl, so he and his father would go sit across the table from the bride or the potential bride, the girl and her mom. As they or dad, as they would negotiate, they would negotiate a bride price, a bride contract. The uh, the father of the bride was being put out because the daughter, his daughter, was going to go live with the father uh, or with the son and the father in the father's home. So he was losing out. So they would pay something. They would compensate something for the bride. It could be. You know, it could be a, a couple of camels, it could be some cows, it could be an, a, you know, a field perhaps, it could be money, whatever is being negotiated, which I feel kind of like in our society, guys, if you have daughters, we are kind of gypped. I, you know, that's what I feel. I feel like uh, when my daughter got married, I should have been compensated somehow, and my daughter was a catch, so I should have really been compensated uh, extremely well, and uh, I, I, my daughter and son-in-law will probably be watching this, so uh, Chase, if you're watching, I expect payment of some kind. Um, anyway, that was the stage of engagement. They would negotiate the bride price, they would drink a cup of wine, and they would seal the covenant. They would seal the relationship. Then there would be the stage of betrothal. That betrothal stage could last up to a year where the son would go back to his father's house. He would prepare and build on an addition to his father's house. It was called an insula. 
He would build on the addition. He would get the house ready. He would get the fields plowed. He would get the money in the bank. He would make sure that he had everything he needed to provide for his new bride. And during the betrothal period, the girl would be engaged, but more than engaged, she would be considered married. It's not something that could be broken. In fact, the only way that you could break an engagement was through a legal divorce that would happen. She would go about the whole time from that time on with her face veiled. She was veiled because she was considered to be a bride in waiting. She was keeping herself sanctified, set apart, holy for the coming of her groom, of her bridegroom. During that whole time, there was no physical contact. Um, in fact, they would uh, make sure that that never could possibly happen, but the bride kept herself in waiting. She kept herself holy. She was fully married, fully, uh, fully accepted as a bride. She was considered to be married at that point, even though the marriage had not been consummated. Well, the day of the final event would happen, and that is the day of the wedding feast. And what would happen is the father of the son would tell the son when it was time that he could go collect his bride. He would be in charge of saying, uh, the, the building is ready, now go collect your bride. The groom, along with his groomsmen, would often come to the community. Uh, it was often a different community that they lived in. He would have a trumpet or a shofar. He would blow the trumpet, and all of the girls that were engaged in that community would wonder, is this one coming for me? Often they like to do it at night because they got a kick out of doing this at night and they would consider it being like a thief in the night. I'm coming at an hour that you do not expect. So the girls were supposed to keep themselves ready and ready to go. Now that is the background of this. After the, after the groom and his party would come, the, the, the trumpet would be blown. Then they would march through the community with torches lit they would march through the community. They would march through some other communities on their way back to, their fa to the father's house, to the dwelling that these two were going to live. And once they got there, they would have a massive banquet. It would be a massive wedding feast. It would last seven days, and it would be a joyous celebration of this new marriage that has just taken place. The married marriage would be consu uh, consummated, and all of those events were going on. Now, with that background in mind, I want you to hear again the words of Jesus. There are four things that I want to give you from this parable that are urgent for us to understand here today, 2,000 years removed from what Jesus just said. First of all, there is encouragement for the brokenhearted. There's encouragement for the brokenhearted. You may be in the category today of being brokenhearted. You may be disappointed, you may be brokenhearted, you may feel despair, you may feel like you've missed out on something, you may feel lost in some manner, but there is encouragement for the brokenhearted that is going to be given that you've probably never heard before. Let's jump into this. Again, look at what Jesus just said. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now I want you to, I, I want to draw your attention to a word that is a weird word when you read it in scripture. And the word is virgins. Why would you 
use this? Why is this part of this story? Why do you draw attention to this? We already know that that's the case. Well, the virgins are not part of the marriage itself. This is not girls that are waiting to be married. This is a different group of girls. This is a group of girls that would have been part of the wedding party, but they were not, they were not necessarily the one getting married, but they were invited to the event itself. Well, who were virgins? What were virgins in that day? If you were engaged and you negotiated the bride price, and you were engaged and you were under contract and you were veiled and you were a bride in waiting, and during that maybe up to a year, the guy you were going to marry, if he died, now this guy died and I was engaged to him, so now I am considered in that culture a widow. You were called a widow who was a virgin, a widow who is a virgin. That's how they use the terminology. In fact, most often, they dropped the word widow and just went with the word virgin. So what would be the virgin in that day? It would be somebody who had been promised. It would be somebody who had been engaged. It would be somebody who was planning to get married, and the guy that they were going to marry died and now they're grieving, and now they have missed out, and now they are considered to be a widow. This is a person who would have potentially been disappointed, brokenhearted, saddened, grief-stricken, because the plan of their life had now been altered. Now they were considered a virgin or considered a widow in that culture. And that really relates to us because there are many people in this room who have felt disappointed. You have felt brokenhearted. You have felt the agony of despair. You have felt like life has dealt you a bad blow. Some of you have been literally widowed, that you have lost somebody close to you. You've lost your husband and you are brokenhearted. Some of you have lost your wives and you are brokenhearted as a result of it. Some of you have gone through a painful divorce and that divorce has just left a gaping hole in your life and you have felt disappointed and you have felt brokenhearted. Some of you had plans in life and the plans never came to fruition and it has left you brokenhearted. Something in your life has been, uh, some level of disappointment has been there and Jesus is going to give some encouragement to you if you have been in that position and you have been in that place. The encouragement that he's gonna give you is this, there is no hopelessness, you are still loved. You are still encouraged to be a part of the wedding feast. You are still welcome to participate, you're welcome to attend. And so he draws attention right away to people who have been broken. But this is the ministry of Jesus himself. In Isaiah chapter 61, it's a verse that Jesus quotes at the beginning of his ministry. It tells a prophecy of what the Messiah would do. It says these words in verses one and two, the spirit of the Lord God, the Ruach of Adonai Elohim is on me. This is talking of the Messiah. Because the God, because Adonai has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me purposefully to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Adonai's favor and the day of venge God's vengeance to comfort all 
who mourn. That is the calling and the purpose of the Messiah. It is what Jesus fulfilled himself when he came to this world. He came for the brokenhearted. He came for the captive. He came for those who were bound, imprisoned, to proclaim to them there's good news. There's good news because it's time for the, God's favor. There's time for his blessing to come. That is the purpose of the Messiah. And that is tying into what Jesus just said in this parable. There were these virgins who were really widows, who were really disappointed, who were really brokenhearted. And I want you to know there's some good news. Those widows can still be a part of the ceremony. They can still be a part of the wedding feast. No matter what you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you have uh, come out of, no matter what your background is, God is here for you. He is here for the brokenhearted. Second thing I want you to notice about this parable is not just the fact that there is encouragement for the brokenhearted, but there is an urgent preparatory decision that has to be made. Again, let's look at the story. And you're going to see in this story, there's just an urgent level of preparation that has to be made. Jesus says this, in the kingdom of heaven, will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So in other words, we know the bridegroom is coming. We know that the trumpet is going to be sound, uh, uh, is going to sound. We are going to go out as part of the wedding party and we are going to meet the bridegroom. Now there would have most likely been 10 bridesmaids as part of the wedding party. It was a significant number in Jewish culture. There were obviously 10 10 groomsmen, there were 10 bridesmaids, so they were probably part of the bridesmaids party. They were widows, they had not had their own marriage come to fruition, so they were brokenhearted. So there is this wedding feast, there's the lamps, they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them, notice this, five of them were foolish. Half of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was talking, or taking a long time, they all got drowsy and started falling asleep. Now, what does all of this mean? Well, first, I want to give you some definitions. The word foolish in the Greek language is the Greek word moros, M-O-R-O-S. It is where we get our word moron. It means stupid. Five were moronic. Five were stupid. Five of them, though, were wise. Now, the Greek word for wise means to be, uh, it means of the brain. It means to be mentally attentive. It means to be together. It means to have it all together. It means to assess the situation correctly. So you have five people who were, were really stupid and dumb, and you have five that were very intelligent and really assessed the situation together, uh, all together. A wise person, according to what Jesus just said, plans ahead. Five were wise, five were foolish. They were, there were five of them who were moros, moros, who were dumb, and they took no oil with them. So what was all of this about? Well, in that day, 
the, the word lamp is not the best, uh, it's not the best word that is used here. The word in the Greek language can mean lamp, but it really most accurately means torch. What a torch was in those days would be a long pole. On the top of the long pole would be some kind of a, a type of wire mesh substance in which they would stuff some kind of rag or some kind of cloth. That cloth would be soaked in olive oil. It would be lit on fire and it would be used to light the path. A torch then, or people with torches, would be walking alongside of the wedding party. They would be part of the wedding event itself. As they paraded through the town, as they paraded through the neighboring town, as they made all their way back to the father's house where the son is now going to live with the bride, they had torches to light the way. Remember, I said that the groomsmen, or the groom and the groomsmen like to come at night, in the middle of the night, like a thief in the night, so you had to have these torches. They did not have light the way that we do. We have light from a city that you can still light up the path somewhat, even in the middle of the night. But there, it would have been pitch black. There was nothing to light anything. There was no light pollution whatsoever. And so they needed these torches. Well, five of the girls planned ahead. And they took oil with them because they knew, I'm not going to have enough to last. I'm going to need to be prepared. Five of them, though, said, you know what? We're too busy, we don't have time, we're not gonna go out, we are not going to collect the oil that we need. And so as they're out there waiting and the torches are burning, they realize, uh-oh, we have run out of oil, which is really stupid, because you should have known better. You should have known better, you should have been prepared, but you didn't bring any oil, so you're not prepared. Now really, this is a picture of the church today. In the church today, there are a lot of people that look like they're a part of the wedding party. In fact, there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian. Or they will say, I belong to this church. Or maybe they will say, I belong to Journey Church. Journey Church is where I go. And they look like they're part of the wedding party, but they have not prepared themselves and they're not really part of the wedding party. They're wearing the wedding clothes, but they don't have their hearts prepared for the coming of the Lord. There are a lot of people in churches today, myriads of churches today are filled with unprepared, unrepentant, and unsaved people who call themselves part of the party, but are not really part of the party because they have not prepared themselves. They're unprepared, unrepentant, and unsaved people. You know, there are some things you just can't leave until the last minute, and one of them is eternal things. One of them is spiritual things. You can't put that off until later. You can't say, well, I will make a decision for Christ later. I will deal with this God thing later. I will, I will uh, you know, wrestle with these things later. If you put off until later, you're going to miss the boat. And Jesus is going to say, well, that was moronic. That was stupid. Because you had one opportunity to prepare, and you missed your opportunity. Instead of preparing your heart, making sure that I have the oil that I need, I just don't. And I forget about it, and I put it off until later, and I don't realize that I go into it unprepared, unrepentant, and unsaved. Significant number of people who profess Jesus who are really not ready for him. Third thing that I want you to notice from this is that 
not only is there an urgent preparatory decision to be made, there are some things that just can't be borrowed. Look at what Jesus says. But in the middle of the night, as these, as these uh, girls went out and they didn't have enough oil, and so the, you know, the other ones said, we're not giving you any of ours, go find your own, go back to the store, buy some. As that event is taking place, other dramatic things are happening. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. The bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones realized, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. And they said to the wise, notice these words, give us some of your oil, since our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, no, we're not giving you our oil. Are you crazy? If I gave you part of my oil, I wouldn't have any oil. Then we'd both be in a mess. There won't be enough for us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. One of the things that cannot be borrowed is oil. You can't borrow somebody else's oil. Now, what is oil the picture of? The oil is the picture of a relationship with God himself. You can't go on somebody else's relationship. It has to be your own relationship. You can't say, well, my mom was a Christian. Well, my dad was a Christian. My dad was even a preacher. My grandfather was a Christian. I came from a Christian family. No, it's not ever going to cut it. You have to get your own oil, meaning you are responsible for you. Nobody else is responsible for you. Your wife or your husband is not responsible for you. Your children are not responsible for you. Your parents are not responsible for you. Your employers and your employees are not responsible for one another. You know who's responsible for you? You are. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. I can't borrow somebody else's oil. They can't borrow my oil. It has to be a personal decision that is made. Whether or not I will accept the oil of God. The oil always represented the spirit of God, Old Testament and New Testament alike. It was always a representation of the Holy Spirit within us. When do you get the Holy Spirit? You get it when you come to Christ. When you accept Christ into your heart, you accept him into your life, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. And at that moment, you have the oil, the requirement. There is no other way, there is no other plan to be invited into the wedding banquet of God than to make sure that I've got the oil that I need. There are some things that just can't be borrowed. Number four, there will be a time when it is too late. There's gonna be a time when it will be too late. Look at how Jesus concludes this parable. But while these ones who hadn't taken oil and thought, "Uh uh-oh, now what am I gonna do? I gotta go find a 7-Eleven somewhere that I can buy some oil. As they're leaving to go find some oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. This is the second time Jesus has used an analogy of a door being shut. The very first parable, he used it of him being at the door, but then he talked about the days of Noah, he talked about the ark, he talked about the door was shut, and once it was shut, it was done. 
Now he's saying the same thing. I went into the wedding feast with those who were ready and the door was shut. Now, later, the other virgins, the five who were foolish came saying, sir, sir, open up for us. But he replied, amen, I tell you, I do not know you. Now this is an amazing concept because the word know, it's very similar to what Jesus said later when he says, many will come to me on that last day saying, well, didn't I do all these great things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is fully God. He knows everything. He is an omniscient God. He's an omnipotent God. He is uh, an omnibenevolent God. He's an omnipresent God. He knows all these things. But he's saying, I didn't know you. What that means is, I didn't know you intimately. We knew about each other, but we never knew each other. I've had people in my life that I feel like I, have, I, I know who they are, I have met them, but they don't know me. I, I've used the example before of meeting Chuck Norris when I was in college uh, back in the uh, early 90s. And I, I was an intern and I met Chuck Norris. He was doing an event at a hotel I was doing an internship at. And uh, it was downtown Houston and uh, I, I got to spend the day with him. I was his personal servant for the day uh, for Chuck Norris. And he's a lot shorter than you would ever, uh, you would ever guess. I, I've told before, I, I felt like I, could pro I, could, I knew I could take him. I really did. And uh, that was not realistic in the least. I spent the day with him. But if you ask Chuck Norris, well, who, who's Aaron Young's? He'd have no clue, because we don't know each other. I know him, but I don't really know him. That's what Jesus is saying. I know who you are. I know where you live. I know every number of hair on your head but we never knew each other because there was no intimacy of relationship because you never gave your heart to me. One day Jesus says, I will shut the door. And when you come knocking on the door, I will say, I, d I don't know you because we never had intimacy of relationship. Therefore, Jesus says, stay alert for you know neither the day nor the hour. There will come a point in time that it will be too late to go buy oil. There will come a point in time that you will either die or the Lord will return and there's no more opportunity. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be righteous, be ready, and be responsible. Righteous, meaning in right standing with God, a righteous heart before God. How is my heart made right? How is my heart made righteous? Our hearts are a mess, our hearts are wicked. How could we possibly have a right relationship? And it's through Jesus himself that makes me, makes us righteous. Be ready, look for my return, watch for my return. Understand the signs of the times. Look with a prophetic vision toward the signs of the times. Understand that even though I'm delaying because I want everyone to have an opportunity, I will return. So be ready. Make sure your heart is ready. Make sure you have prepped yourself by having enough oil in a spiritual sense. And be responsible. 
Because nobody else can make you ready. Nobody else can make you righteous. It is through Christ alone and your surrender to him. You're coming to him in faith, saying, Jesus, I need you. I need a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. When you come to him in humility, he accepts you where you're at, no matter what you've been through, no matter what has happened in your life. He makes you righteous, and now you stay ready. Stay in his word, grow in his grace, understand his truth, walk in his favor, be obedient as you live out life, and take responsibility for yourself. This parable that Jesus gives is a good reminder that we need to make sure that our hearts are filled with the oil of God. And they are done so by accepting him. And whether you are here today or somebody watching online, and you have not ever made sure your heart is right. I, you come to church, you would even call journey your church, and you're wearing the clothes, the, you're acting the right way, but your heart is still far from him because you have not prepared your heart by saying, Jesus, I need you here. I need you to come in here. I need you to fix this mess, Jesus. I need to ask you to forgive me of all the things that I have done wrong, and I need you to cleanse me with your righteousness. Maybe that's your decision today. Or maybe your decision today is the fact that you know, you were walking with him, you were right with him, but you've just really felt yourself sliding away. You have just slidden toward, uh, away from God and toward the world, and you need to come back to him and say, God, I'm sorry, and I wanna, be make, I wanna make sure that I'm ready. I wanna make sure, God, that I have my heart in a good place. Whatever decision you need to make today, I just pray that between you and the Lord that you would take responsibility and make that decision. Let's pray as we close. Father, this is a, such a powerful parable when we really think about all of the nuances of it. Lord, you have come for the brokenhearted, those who feel like they are disappointed in life, that they have messed up in life, maybe those who have felt broken over the things that have happened to them in life. Lord, you have come and given us an urgent message that we need to make sure that we've got the oil that we need for our torches, that our torches can be lit from the oil that we have. We can't borrow somebody else's. We can't, um, we can't take and steal somebody else's. We can't lean on the fact that maybe our parents were Christians and, or, or our children are Christians. Lord, we need to make that personal decision with you. Father, help us to do so before it's too late before the door is shut. Lord, there is a number of days that each one of us has and we don't know what that's going to be. Father, you know the end of our days and I pray that before it's too late that we would make sure that we have made the decision with you to accept you into our lives so that our hearts would be filled with the oil of God. Thank you for meeting with us today. Bless each one as they leave. Be with us and encourage us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. 
Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.